Hey, and welcome to the short stuff. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. There's Jerry. Just as it should be. Short stuff. Let's go. <laughs> do you remember the Pledge of Allegiance by heart? I do. I was at a city council meeting the other day, and I um, as I you do said it. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm a little rusty. It's been a while. I know. I did the same thing. I went to say it in my head, and I was like, I think I'm getting some of these words wrong. But this is about the Pledge of Allegiance. I think we should. Uh, I'll just read it real quick, mm-hmm. so everyone knows what we're talking about. This is. This is what we do in our country, everybody. <laughs> Every morning when we wake yeah. up. When you wake up, the, the loudspeaker uh-huh. in everyone's house <laughs> commands you to rise and say the pledge. Uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under who? Under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, all, everybody. That was the most bizarre rendition of the <laughs> Pledge of Allegiance I've ever heard in my life. That's right. And as it turns out, as we will see, the Pledge of Allegiance was a marketing tool. It was. It really was. It was a an add-on for sales for a little um, magazine called The Youth Companion, which just is not a good name for a magazine. <laughs> But it sounds that I know it's not, but that sounds so Nazi. It does. <laughs> it sounds it? it sounds blandly menacing somehow. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was edited by a guy who was the opposite of blandly menacing, a guy named Francis Bellamy. Um, or he was a yeah, he was an assistant editor at the time. <clears throat> and his last name might sound familiar. His cousin Edward Bellamy wrote a very famous uh, utopian novel called Looking Backward. And looking backward was basically about how, you know, by the year 2000, inequality will have been done away with and people won't work, will retire at 45 and have a life of leisure and things are just going to be a lot better than they are now. And one of the ways that they were going to get better, according to Edward Bellamy and his cousin Francis, who's the the main character in this story, Mm -hmm. is through Christian socialist values. And so Francis Bellamy was a Christian socialist. What's that, Josh? It's a socialist who's a Christian. That's right. It was a, a group of people who said, you know what? We can get a, a equitable society. We can go further as a people through Christian values mm-hmm. and uh, being Christ-like, who we can all agree was probably a socialist. Oh, most decidedly. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. So... At the time, this is the 1890s um, when our story really is set, um, there was a huge influx of of immigrants in the United States. And it's very much like it it is today. There was a lot of division over, you know, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Are they going to take over, you know, our jobs? Are they going to drive wages down? Um, It was a, a, a time of great change for the United States. There was a huge amount of inequality, just like there is today. It's, it's I don't want to say a mirror image of our, our time, but there are a lot of similarities. And so Francis Bellamy was like, I believe that having immigrants is a good thing, but I also believe that they should become members of America. They should become Americanized. And one of the ways that <laughs> members he... Members of America. <laughs> one of the ways he... Um, he thought that that would be a good, a good way to, to carry that out is to... Um, to basically inculcate their children in school, in public schools. Yeah, start them early, 
it's, it's an old trick, oldest trick in the book. Yeah, it really is. This is not like radical, innovative thinking. No, get get it going with the kids and you got them. Um, this was a big deal, though, because um, pre-Civil War, there wasn't some big, huge public school system. Uh, it was no. it was post-Civil War, 1870s and 80s, when you really started getting the ramp up in public schools and the idea mm-hmm. that, hey, we've got all these kids trapped all day long. Yeah, we can <laughs> Why, do whatever we want. We can. We can do whatever we want, and we can make them good citizens as well as educating them. And we can do it all. Hey, I read this article years back. I don't remember when. But it basically said that the public school system, I guess starting about this time, was training kids for the sole purpose of going to work in factories. Oh, really? Like mindless, busy work, um, sitting still and quiet for eight hours so a day. So that's how it took its shape? That, yeah, that, that wow. was ultimately what they, were, what they were teaching kids to do. And I was like, wow, that was an eye-opening thing to read. Wow. So sorry to blow your mind like that, Chuck. <laughs> but um, around about this time, uh, the Columbian Exposition was about to happen. And we know that um, by its other name, the World's Fair of Chicago in 1893. That's right. It was it marked the 400th anniversary of Columbus's first New World journey. And so the Youth Companion, the magazine that we've mentioned, uh-huh. and Bellamy, they said, hey, we can really um, get involved in this thing and we can really ramp up the patriotism if we team up with some civic groups and we can sell a lot of American flags. We mm-hmm. can get a lot of new subscribers to our magazine. We can make some serious coin. Yeah, make some big money, basically. And so we're going to print a uh, program, a patriotic <laughs> program right. for these schools all over the country that kids can recite on this date, on October 21st, 1892, which was the, the big celebration day nationally for the Colombian celebration. And they said, Bellamy, you go write this thing. Go put something together. Yeah. And he did. He came up with plays, patriotic songs, um, uh, ways to uh, or, or um, uh, honor. Uh, well, I don't know what the word I'm looking <laughs> for is. I don't know. I guess profiles of Civil War heroes. Okay. Just typical patriotic American stuff. But one of the things, just one of these things that were, were part of this big whole program and wasn't meant to be some standout thing like it became was a Pledge of Allegiance. And it was kind of like the one that we have today, but a a stripped-down version. And we will really get into it right after this message. All right, so it's uh, 1892. Right. Got this big celebration going on, honoring the great, great Christopher Columbus, who did everything the right way. Exactly. <laughs> Love that guy. Everyone does. And uh, there was already a, a Pledge of Allegiance in 1885, we should mention, uh, <laughs> which came about for the very first Flag Day celebration. Yeah. Uh, poor George, uh, George T. Balk, or Balch. It's probably he Balk. He was marked from birth. What, with that name? Yeah. Yeah. It was never going to work out for him. No. So he actually wrote the first Pledge of Allegiance. And in some schools, they were doing this. And it said, I give my heart and my hand to my country. One country, one language, one flag. Not bad. The whole thing almost reads like a yawn. Yeah. 
So it didn't Bellamy, stick. No, it didn't. And Bellamy, I mean, Bellamy could have just republished this, but he's like, I can do better. He said he called he, it childish. Yeah, he did. So he wrote his own pledge, a new pledge of allegiance. And it said, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And so in 1892, all of the schools that got this um, program recited this, I I guess all at once. It was kind of like the predecessor to Hands Across America or something like that. And Bellamy said... um, he was he was pretty proud of it, but apparently he was going to uh, add liberty, equality, fraternity at the end, like the French slogan, um, the French Republic slogan. But he's like, ah, it's too fanciful. So too he French. just left it, left it as is. That's right. And he also, Chuck, recommended a way to salute the flag during the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, <laughs> too, didn't he? He sure did. Um, I mean, there's no other way to describe the Bellamy salute other than... <laughs> A, a Nazi salute, an upside down Nazi salute. Yeah, but this was um, this was way, way, way before that came about. So right. obviously there was there was no Nazi salute. There were no Nazis. No, but apparently that's so. Rather than you know, just imagine the Nazi salute, but rather than um, your your palm down, your yeah. palm is up, kind of like almost like you're like a backup dancer, like yeah, right, like. Giving it to the to the lead dancer at, at front, but then but you got to do both hands flight. and start them at your waist and bring them up, <laughs> right? As you sing. Have you ever seen that Dream Hands video? No. I'll send it to you. Okay. You're gonna love it. It's like a an instructional dance video for, you know, upward bound kids, mm-hmm. and uh, it's. I'll just send it to you. <laughs> All right. But anyway, so it wasn't until 1943 that we ditched the. Um, Revert upside down Nazi salute to the flag until yeah. 1943. Well, post war, people were or doing that. Actually, not post war, Perry War. Yeah, <laughs> I think 1923 though was when they had the first revision to the lyric, not lyric, but I guess you could sing it. Sure. Um, at the National Flag Conference, uh, delegates there uh, said that my flag. They said, you know, that's a little vague, and <laughs> we don't want. Anyone thinking that immigrants are talking about their home country's flag, right? They're so like, they changed flag? it. So they changed it to the flag of the United States. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I think about a year after that, tagged on of America, just right. so everyone knew what was going on. Yeah, and so um, everybody went bonkers for this. Like, Big uh, hit. Pretty pretty much out of the gate. Um, schools started reciting it. Like we said, they were reciting the other pledge before. Now they picked up this new one. And um, in 1898, New York became the first state to make uh, reciting the pledge in schools compulsory, Mm -hmm. which is a whole different jam than everyone just saying the pledge is part of this, you know, um, uh, this ode to Christopher Columbus. Sure. Right. And so very quickly after that, especially around World War I, the beginning of the U.S.'s involvement, um, more and more states started requiring compulsory pledges in schools, too. That's right. And, you know, it's it's no coincidence that those aligned with uh, moments of uh, political and, and certainly warlike upheaval in this country. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then and, yeah. we got to mention, in, uh, under God, because I think you notice it, it never said that up until this point in the podcast, except at the beginning when I read it. Right. That didn't come about until 1954. Isn't when, that crazy? I know. Eisenhower 
said, you know, he's the Knights of Columbus said, you know what, Dwight, maybe you should throw under God in there. And he did. And they said, um, I think the quote was, uh, they felt that schools in the United States were under threat of infiltration by godless communists. <laughs> That's right. So let's just throw that in there. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to further change it to uh, highly divisible instead of indivisible. <laughs> so, so divisible. Yes. Um, there was, uh, there have been a couple of Supreme Court cases about it too, Chuck. Sure. When When um, states passed it as compulsory, now it's compulsory typically for teachers to lead the pledge, but not for students. That's not how it always was. Um, until 1943, students were compelled to say the pledge as well. But then in 1943, in the case West Virginia Board of Education versus Barnett, which involved some Jehovah's Witness children who were like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. It's a religious thing. Um, students were finally, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't. You can't force anyone to say the pledge. That's right. So uh, that's it for the Pledge of Allegiance, huh? Yeah, good stuff. Thanks uh, to Dave Ruse, our old our old pal there. And that's going to be, uh, this is hot off the presses. This is going to be on the House Stuff Works website. Yeah, so go check it out at House Stuff Works. And uh, in the meantime, short stuff is out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.